0: Hello, it's 16th of September 2018 and this is episode 78 of Scavengers Horde a Star Wars Podcast. I'm Rachel.
1: And I'm Kirsty.
0: We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars News, Analysis and Commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And today I'm going to forego all our pre-show nonsense where we blabber about what we've been doing and stuff, because we have a very special guest on the podcast. And that is Swara from Beltway Banthers. So yeah, would you like to introduce yourself in your podcast, Swara?
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I'm a big fan of your podcast, Scavengers' Horde. One of my favorite Star Wars podcasts, and honestly, this is a real honor to be on. So <laughs> thank you for that. But yeah, I'm Swara. I'm one of the two co-hosts of Beltway Banthers, the Star Wars and Politics podcast. We take the two least stressful st- subjects in the universe, Star Wars and politics, and mash them together to talk about <laughs> to talk about them in all their various intersections. Uh, we talk about political parallels in the real world with Star Wars or vice versa, and we talk about uh, sometimes sociopolitics of fandom and just a variety of other topics and it's been really great been going on two years and y'all should check it out i think you'll have fun uh not not you two, Kirsty and rachel but your listeners i think you would enjoy it <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i did recommend your show to rachel a while back because it's one of my favorite star wars podcasts and i'm so thankful to have you on today
2: thank you thank you
0: yeah no it's really exciting to have you swara i started listening to the show on Kirstie's recommendation. While I'm at more of a remove from it than you guys are, because obviously I don't live in the US, um, it's still very, very interesting, and you reliably have very insightful and intelligent discussions. So, yeah, it's a must-listen. Thank
2: you so much. I deeply appreciate that.
0: Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) It comes from the heart. (laughs) Okay. Right. So with that said, we're going to do a little news section, and then we're going to go into a proper spotlight where we discuss, surprise, surprise, politics and stars. Um, So yeah, the first thing you want to talk about is that there has been some new resistance promo from USA Today. And yeah, would you like to introduce this, Kirsty?
1: Yeah, so I'm starting to have a bit of trouble differentiating between all the various bits of promotion we've had. Um, (laughs) But this was exciting because it, It showed us a few more characters that hadn't been included in the teaser and the stuff from um, EW a couple weeks ago. Mm, Um, So the characters that are new are an ex-Imperial called Griff. Griff Halloran, Mm. who's voiced by Stephen Stanton, who I'm really happy Mm -hmm. to see in Star Wars Animation again, because obviously he was in The Clone Wars and Rebels. And Freya Fenris, who's played by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Um, and the article describes her as a fierce lady who's all business and she looks really cool from the little bit of video that we got did you guys watch it?
0: I did watch the video I found it really funny how um, they use all the cliches you'd expect for a character named Freya it's like, oh, she comes across as a bit of an ice queen <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, a kid's show, so on the nose um, but yeah, it does sound like they're actually going to be deconstructing that a bit and she's not as frosty as she first seems and stuff. So that's cool.
1: hmm
2: I am so excited for Resistance and this just adds so much more to my excitement. I love the animation style. The characters look amazing, uh, including these new characters, the Aces, uh, the, pilot, the five hotshot pilots from that protect the uh, refueling depot Colossus. And I... I, I don't know I I get such a great I get such great vibes from this show and I'm looking forward to what Athena Portillo and the rest of the animation team are going to be bringing us and I also here's another note about it it's just it this show is so diverse it has so many mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has so many actors of color voicing the characters of color which before had sort of been an issue in animation where frankly you'd have like all white people voicing characters of color and yeah. but now it's they're really uh pushing forward on the representation front in animation as well as the sequel trilogy generally and it just makes my heart so happy to see
1: same i'm so excited for what this will mean for young kids watching star wars and um, we know how important characters like finn and rose and poe have been with the sequel trilogy but to see it in animation as well is just really wonderful
2: exactly
0: yeah, That's really nice. Like, does anyone feel that each new successive video piece on Resistance has got better and better? Because yeah. I did like the first trailer, but I feel like I'm preferring these little featurettes where we actually get introduced to the characters, me, get a sense for their personalities and stories. I, I, I'm really warm into it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean... <laughs> It's hard because I feel like oftentimes when we get that first teaser, it's like, okay, it looks great, but it's not really giving us much of a sense of what the story is going to be like. It's just kind of like, okay, this is the style of the animation, and here's a quick look at the characters and settings, but... Um, not too much in depth, obviously, but hearing from the creators as well about what kind of vibe they're going for. Um, the, they're mentioning influences like the Top Gun movies and talking about Dave Filoni's family history um, that he grew up with pilots in his family and that's kind of informed the influences. Um, it just right. makes it more interesting, right? Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. he was talking about how he was influenced by these World War II stories and the pilots that would be flying then, uh, often around the Pacific to be honest, when I first heard that, I thought, like, you know, he's making, or they're making in general a show about that's influenced by Japanese animation or anime, and by the way, just want to note that they are having Japanese animators uh, animate resistance, which is great. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. This is sort of an ongoing conversation in, I, I think, a lot of anime and animation fandoms about... a sort of appropriation of Asian cultures Mm -hmm. and Asian art styles. So, you know, it's great that they have, uh, yeah, the studio Polygon, which I believe worked a lot on Clone Wars as well. So, you know, like Hmm. that's a really good step forward in my opinion. And, uh, you know, but still, when I first heard about, oh, World War II and Japanese-influenced is that really going to be the best mix? You know, like you look at the, the (laughs) politics of it. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. I'm bringing politics into everything. That's just how my mind works. (laughs) Uh, But it doesn't seem as though they're going to be making any sort of one-to-one parallel, which in fiction generally, I think, I mean, you can take inspiration from, you know, villains of history or certain countries in history and infuse that into your story. But, attempting to make this a one-to-one ratio is not always very often not the best idea I'm a so I'm one of the co-hosts of the flash podcast as well and we've talked about this uh, how in the CW verse they've often try to make that one-to-one ratio with our real world and it's kind of failed so it's good to Mm. see that in resistance it doesn't look like especially with the material we're getting that they're necessarily going to do that of course it's just been a couple of trailers a couple of clips here and there but I think that they're going to strike a really good balance I don't think it's going to really ruffle many feathers at least from my perspective so far so I'm just knocking on wood that it'll continue to be like that.
1: Yeah, I'd like to think that when he's talking about the pilots and his family and everything, it's more about the culture yeah. of people flying together. And like they mentioned, the term used over and over is hotshot pilot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what Poe Dameron was described as for a long time before The Force Awakens came out. And now they're using it to describe Kaz. And it's a very classic archetype that we can all kind of imagine that kind of young, cocky, needs to learn about the world, optimistic, um yeah reckless pilot right yeah the han yeah. solo kind of had that yeah. vibe initially from the original trilogy as well so it, it it's like a shorthand
0: um to kind of convey the mood of the story i
2: think exactly
0: yeah definitely uh right so anything else we want to say about that resistance piece like any particular characters that stood out to us or anything
2: um besides the characters well the character i'm looking most forward to is kazuda ziono i think he, I know. I feel like I can already identify with him in so many ways. He's just, oh, uh, and voice by his voice by Christopher Sean, is just looks fantastic. And I'm really excited for this particular mm-hmm. character. I don't know why. Maybe we have very similar personalities. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah. The other thing I'm really looking forward to with this uh, plot in general, with this story in general, and I think that this has been in a headline or two, is that it's more focused on the more quote-unquote normal people of the galaxy and not the Jedi. So I Mm -hmm. love the Jedi. The Jedi are my favorite. Force lore is my favorite. Basically my entire life. I genuinely don't think it's been done the best in animation. I think it's been done well in Clone Mm. Wars, especially when you look at something like the Mortis trilogy. But uh, in Rebels, I I genuinely feel as though it could have used some work. And I'm happy that they're taking a step back from that and putting more of the focus on the main characters. I mean, we know this takes place six months before The Force Awakens, so if we did get a uh, cameo from Kylo Ren or another Force-sensitive character, that could be really cool. But for it to not be the main mm. focus is something I'm very appreciative of.
0: Yeah. No, definitely no more helicopter lightsabers.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It seems
0: like they're making
1: a point with the promotion to emphasise that you're not going to see Jedi, just to prepare people that it's
0: not about that this time. Exactly. Yeah. It's like that first promo, like, it was not my favourite piece of promo for Resistance, as I said. But I think that's because it's very clearly a trailer serving a particular purpose, and it's clearly a trailer that's meant to be slotted between shows on Disney XD to get kids primarily really hyped for it because it's got loads of cool flying and it's got a lot of these favorite characters that people like, like what more do you want? You know? So that trailer did its job perfectly well. It's just, it wasn't like catering to like the more established like adult fan base. Like, and people can still get really hyped for that trailer and excited about it. But yeah, like I think everything needs to be viewed in context.
2: And the other thing about that adult fan base we got to remember, y'all, Star Wars is primarily for children, and that's okay. Yeah. We can still enjoy it, <laughs> too. It's a children's franchise. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so funny seeing people push back against that. No. Because, like, there's been so much about Resistance being like, well, if it's for kids, why is it on at 10 p.m.? Uh. And it's like... Do you understand how TV works in
2: 2018? (laughs) It's like, come on. So I was also on an episode, y'all might've heard with Courtney of Who Talks First, and we were discussing this, and she theorizes that Lucasfilm is doing this because they want to, or Disney and Lucasfilm are doing this because they want to experiment to see how much adults affect their ratings, which I think is a perfectly valid Mm. theory. I said on the, I said yeah. on this show, and I'll say it here. I think again, that it should be primarily geared towards children, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I understand that Lucasfilm is still a business; they still want to uh, check things out, they still want to experiment things with things, so that's understandable. I'm sure I'm sure it'll do well yeah. in the long run, though.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's all about the catch-up numbers, basically. Like, I really doubt that many children watch TV shows when they're first broadcast. Like, that's not how a child operates. Yeah,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> well, it's not up to them, is it? So.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's it makes sense for them to be doing that now before... I I would assume that once the... I can't remember what it is. What's the Disney... Oh, it's Disney Play, right? That's the name of the streaming service.
2: Yes. Um, yeah.
1: I would predict that eventually they'll move this show to the streaming service, So then they wouldn't have access to that kind of experimentation in numbers because people can stream at any time. Um, So if they're showing it now, late at night, yeah, you're right, Swara, that they could have more of an idea of the level of adult engagement.
0: Yeah. So it's pretty much all going to be adults with that time slot, so that'll be interesting for them.
2: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh,
1: the other thing I wanted to bring up was that... um, we get confirmation here that the person with the red armor is not Cardinal, right. as we suspected. <laughs> it's <Lame>. someone called... <laughs> no! Uh.
2: <laughs>
1: New characters are always good. I'm just interested no, to see are. how this is going to go. Because they're calling yes. him Major Von Rick and he's voiced by Lex Lang.
2: Ooh, I um, love Lex Lang. He's a First Lang. Order... He, I don't he's know He's such a great voice actor. He's done so much in, like, so many of my favorite animation.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah, I I watch animation, but I'm never really aware of who the voices are. Mm.
2: I am a hardcore nerd for animation. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender slash Legend of Korra is my favorite franchise of all time tied with Star Wars. And uh, so I know a lot of this stuff.
1: I'm making my way through Avatar The Last Airbender because it's a lot of Star Wars fans' favorite animated series. I've had it recommended so many times. So I'm partway through season two right now. I'm really enjoying Have you
2: that. met Toph yet? No, I
1: don't ooh, think so. Ooh, I
2: won't say anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So anyway, Major Vonreg um, is a first order TIE pilot whose crimson armor and spacecraft come from an old school inspiration. Every time we have a villain pilot, we would talk about, well, is this our Red Baron, Filoni says. And finally, it's like, let's make one red all out. It seems to fit with the First Order, (laughs) since they seem to really like that as a colour. If the good guys have aces, the villains need them too.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You did mention to me in private though, Kirsty, that does this mean perhaps that Filoni's not really aware of Cardinal? Because the whole deal with Cardinal is that he's meant to be unique with that red armour, that he's meant to be the only one who looks like him. So now there's him and this major Von Reg both shimmying around, apparently. I
1: would guess that Filoni is aware of Cardinal, but he's just promoting it here as if he isn't. um, Because it would undermine (laughs) what he's saying, right? Um, Presenting this as a unique character. Because kids aren't going to read the Phasma novel. That is dark.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's true. So they're two different
1: stories. I was shocked by how dark that book was It was dark. Phasma is... Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, she's pretty cold. (laughs) So... Yeah, it makes sense to be talking about it as if it's new, really, because those two sides of the fandom probably aren't going to interact that much. And it's unlikely that we'll get Cardinal turning up in any other story.
2: I kind of want to run this by you two. Do you guys ever feel as though Star Wars is a fandom of fandoms?
1: Um, yeah. Yeah it's so huge and you've got these various trilogies and you've got the animator series and the comics. Like I'm sure there's a whole comic side of the fandom that I just don't really know about.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely find that like there's with something like rebels. Mm -hmm. I sense that there's like a whole separate rebels fandom that I know almost nothing about. And obviously for them, rebels is their main thing and they absolutely love rebels. And
2: and it's fantastic. And honestly, I feel as though so many of the, arguments or scruples in fandom a lot of them actually do arise from these different inter- different fandom uh, subsets interacting and maybe not fully getting each other you know what i mean yeah yeah there's honestly a fascinating sociopolitics to it <laughs> if you if you could call it that
0: yeah no it's lots of tribes within tribes yeah. to be honest
2: yeah seriously
0: yeah, someone should write a story.
2: <laughs>
0: um, right, with that covered, I think we can probably move into the Solo release on Home Media. Um, when did it come out on digital, Kirsty?
1: Uh, on Friday.
0: Okay, yeah. So Kirsty has been very good and prepared and she's already bought her digital copy of Solo. <laughs> I will buy the Blu-ray, but I don't think that comes out till next week. And what about you, Swara?
2: Uh so <laughs> be honest. Yeah. I am not a fan of the solo film. There are parts of it I like. Mm-hmm. Lando and Kira specifically. Yeah. And I loved listening to, you know, other podcasts on it, like Sky Talkers, like Your Guys', Rebel Girl, and others. But I feel like the things I can like about the film, they don't outdo what I don't like about the film specifically in its treatment of woman characters and Mm -hmm. even characters of color. And Mm -hmm. Mm. I, you know, to be honest, I'll just let you two know, I'm personally not the biggest fan of Ron Howard as a director and when he was announced as the replacement mm. for Lord and Miller, I, my heart actually sank a bit. Um, I Aww. mean, I, 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 no disrespect to Mr. Howard, you know, he's a, a critically acclaimed general director, but he, his art style just isn't my own. And I can be very snobbish about these things. So I was thinking, Oh yeah, maybe I'm just over dramatizing. But then when I walked out of solo and started thinking about it more, I, yeah I just realized it didn't like it personally but I will say I am very happy for all of my friends and I have many that genuinely love this film and enjoy it and get so much just general joy out of it and with their kids as well and I'm really happy for that and you know and the more Lando we can get the better so that's what we need to focus (laughs) on Lando and all of his capes
0: yeah no that cape room
1: is
2: the best so good
1: yeah, I think we've been quite critical of certain aspects of the story. You as well, have, and absolutely. Some, and and I I'm sensing some fatigue in fandom with people being like, Okay, well, I liked how they dealt with Val. I thought that made sense. And if people think that, then that's fine. Like that's not something yeah. that they're concerned with. But personally, as much as I do enjoy the movie, it's always going to bother me.
2: Yeah. Really. Yeah.
1: Just the way that they they treated that character and The way it didn't seem to really cross their mind that it would be so important to women of color in the fandom Mm -hmm. Mm. to finally have this amazing black female character um, and be marketing her so heavily as part of the main cast as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it just doesn't sit right with me.
0: Yes, we had those notes recently from John Kasdan, didn't we? And they were pretty cringe in terms of what he had to say about Val and that whole yeah, thing. Yeah,
2: those <laughs> comments did not help, honestly. <laughs> uh, and I I saw some people on Twitter getting into arguments with him about why the stuff he wrote was really offensive. What he and his father wrote, Lawrence Kasdan, was so offensive to people in the Mm. LGBTQIA community and to women of color, to people of color. And I don't think he handles himself on social media that well, quite frankly. And Mm. he did express hope that Solo would get a sequel, but um, I think when you look at the box office reception to it and I I don't know I don't want to like cast too much doubt or anything I mean if there's an idea they think can genuinely work they should go for it if it's a Lando spinoff then please by all means go for it I will just say that I genuinely do not believe that John Kasdan's comments on the matter helped the situation and I find that overall very disappointing
0: I'd say it's highly, highly unlikely they would make a sequel to Solo. Uh, yeah. The only possibility I could see is if they really, really wanted content for the streaming service and they found a way to make a sequel really cheaply, like under 50 million or something. Yeah. And I think that's all, yeah, unlikely in the extreme.
1: I think maybe the way to get around it is to market something not as a solo sequel, but one that, like Suara suggests, focuses on one of the other characters. So whether mm-hmm. it's following Kira to Dafamere and seeing what happens <laughs> when she finds Maul, or Lando, yeah. or any of the other characters, uh, I think that might have more of a chance. Um, and which is a shame, because I actually think that Alden did a really great job
0: with Han. He
2: did. He was yeah. fantastic.
0: So I, I did enjoy Solo, but I felt like... The story i really wanted to see was kira's story Mm -hmm. and obviously you only get glimpses of that and allusions to that story like and i've heard the novel is good for that because it fills in a lot of details about what happened to kira in the gaps in terms of when she's separated from han but yeah i almost wish we'd had kira star story i know why that is not viable for, for, for many reasons but yeah it just left me with a hunger
1: yeah, I'm only a few chapters into the solo no- novelization, but mm. um, I really appreciate that it's written by a woman, um, Merle Averty, yeah. um, because it reminds me of Most Wanted, actually, that you get more, much more of that sense of Kira's internal monologue and her nice. motivations. Whereas in the film, obviously, she's presented as quite an enigma because we're seeing her from Han's point of view and there's so much that he doesn't understand, Yeah, um, arguably, even from right at the beginning. Um, it's really emphasizing how she has like four possible plans in her mind at any given point, depending on what might happen. Wow, um, because yeah. she's so intent on surviving at all costs.
2: Yeah, Kira is such a wonderfully intriguing character. and you know, I think her writing could have been better in the film. I think a lot of things could have been better by the film, but to hear that like does me my heart a lot of good to hear, you know, a woman writing her and getting more into her psychological depths this is why we need woman writers in the films and TV. It matters. Mm. I just, just, mm-hmm. ah, like...
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, get, we'll talk more about that later, but it really yeah. does drive it home to me, actually, the difference between the novelization and um, the movie. Um, yeah. because you are getting more of that sense of the feminine gaze from the novelization which I really appreciate exactly. because yeah. the movie, I know it's pushing that femme fatale archetype anyway and that is kind of from that classic male gaze ooh isn't she so beautiful and mysterious because women are such mysterious magical creatures we can never <laughs> hope to understand
2: you're so mysterious <laughs> well I personally
0: like to be mysterious and magical
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it is that classic like Madonna whore putting women yeah. on pedestals <laughs> They're from a different planet, you know, in terms of their motivation and how they perceive the world. And, and so,
2: from what and from what yeah. I'm hearing as well about the novel, it could also be seen as a subverting of that trope, right?
1: Right. Yes. That's how it seems to me. And that's why I enjoyed Most Wanted as well. That's the novel set before Solo with Kira and Han on Corellia. Um, yeah. I think we had an episode, we talked about that. And we both really enjoyed it for those kind of reasons that you got much more insight into Kira as a character. Yeah. But uh, going back to John Kasdan's comments this week, yeah, I agree with you, Swara. I almost feel like it would have been better if he hadn't said anything. Because um, if people haven't read what he said, in terms of Val and Tandy Newton's performance, he said that she was too good and too interesting.
2: <sighs> as if
1: that was a problem.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I,
0: oh, it's so misjudged.
2: It's so <laughs> cringe. I, I'm, I'm taking a cage from Kara Brown of the Crooked Media podcast, Keep It. Sometimes it is best to say nothing. Just keep your (laughs) mouth shut and move on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because what a strange way to phrase it. it's, It's nice that they've at least taken on board how attached people got to the character, but it's sort of missing the point. I mean, that kind of backwards logic to be like, oh, well, this character's too great, so we had to get rid of her to pave the way for more... Arguably less interesting characters, if you're looking at it from that angle. I mean, what? Like you hire I, an actress who is too good for the job?
2: Essentially what it is, is doing me- It's doing mental backflips to justify why he made an, a frankly ill-informed and misjudged story decision. Often it is best to acknowledge you may have made a mistake, such as... The wonderful Jason Fry did in his recent uh, show with What the Force, talking about the Mm -hmm. Last Jedi novelization, and he admitted that, from what I've heard, that I haven't listened to the episode yet, but what I've heard is he admitted that he should have written Rose better and maybe not make her look as jealous. That is great. That will bring you goodwill. Something like John Kasdan does, again, making those backflips, it's not going to reflect well on him. It's just just acknowledge you made a mistake and move on. Let the past die. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love yeah. that you work that
2: in. <laughs> I will always work in that line.
1: <laughs> I have listened to the Jason Fry interview with What the Force, um, and it was excellent, really great discussion. I re- recommend it to listeners if they haven't listened to that already. Um, And you're right, he does acknowledge that and says that he had some really great discussions on Twitter with fans um, who had concerns around the characterization of Rose and how she treated Finn in the novelization. Um, And he he says it's kind of complicated because he didn't intend for her to come across as jealous. So that's not what he was going for. But um, I think what he's getting at, which I really appreciate, is that he's acknowledging his privilege as a white man writing a woman of color. and. Not being um already conscious of how close he might have been leaning towards those gendered stereotypical tropes of being jealous of the other woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's complicated because Rose does go on a very interesting arc. yeah, um it's just unfortunate that it comes kind of close to the idea of her being jealous of Ray from a romantic perspective, which actually isn't what's going on. Um, but it's understandable that people interpret it that way because we've seen that over and over again in fiction, right?
2: absolutely, yeah. So,
1: yeah, it's a very interesting discussion. Yeah,
2: For better and for worse, the creators have made a close relationship with the fandom, especially on social media, and I think that there are ways in which they've done really well with it, and frankly, I will say some ways they haven't done as well, such as with John Kasten recently, I think that Lucasfilm or people working at Lucasfilm or their contractors should look at patterns of how they've engaged with fans on podcasts, on social media in general, because we do have this close relationship. By the same token, the fans need to be in general, as yes, absolutely as respectful as possible and as diplomatic as we can be when talking to the creators. And we should be upfront with our legitimate concerns, not the oh, blasted I ruined Luke Skywalker, or oh, you ruined Star Wars for me. but on these issues, as we'll talk about in the show soon, like on representation, on these various sociopolitical aspects, because this matters and we do have this conversation mm-hmm. together and i think that we can go far to understand each other if we just open that dialogue
0: you put everything so well swaro <laughs>
2: <laughs> thanks
0: Oh, I wish I could be so eloquent. Oh,
2: stop. Stop.
0: <laughs> it's like a compliment to form.
2: Oh, baldo Wren. Well, let's move on.
1: <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, traitor.
2: I am... Oh, my I, goodness. You thought I was the chosen one, but I am, in fact, throwing us all into baldness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like the Damien of <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> fandom right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: so in terms of the the digital release um I got it Friday and watched the film Friday night and um I was watching the special features afterwards and they're really great. I haven't had a chance to watch all of them. Um but the the main segment that I watched is like this roundtable discussion kind of hosted by Ron Howard with the main cast. And he's asking them all these fun questions like, where were they when they found out they'd been cast and what did they do? And they have really adorable answers and it's really cool to see how close-knit cool. they became. Yeah, um, And it's kind of funny to watch them refer to the changing of the guard with the directors because they don't say outright, they don't mention Lord of Miller but they'll <laughs> <Awkward>. <laughs> discreetly say, <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> they'll say things like well when we were on hiatus uh, <laughs> oh my god, or um, <laughs> the first day that ron howard started um george lucas visited the set um so they'll say like oh yeah george lucas came back the first day we were back from hiatus
0: oh my god
1: yeah it's cute
0: that is cute like it does it does remind me a bit of like um stalinist russia
2: (laughs) oh my god talk about
0: it where it's like we're going to erase every memory of them
2: (laughs) wow so awkward (laughs) Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it Really
0: is, but yeah, no, I I do look forward to seeing it again and watching the special features. Um, we're planning to have a show on that, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have it in a couple of weeks when you get a chance to watch it.
0: Exactly, it will be a thing. <laughs> right, um, then I think it's probably time to move on to the spotlight section, because this week has been very quiet from a news perspective. That's really it, to be honest. Um. Yeah, and as I mentioned before, the main topic of discussion today is going to be politics and Star Wars. So if you want full, clear, nicely organised and very focused discussions for this topic, please do go and listen to Beltway Banfers, because obviously that's your bread and butter. So that is what they do, and they do it superbly. But we're going to touch upon the topic, just adding in a bit of our own perspective and bouncing off each other, as you'd expect. I will kick it off with a question that I prepared earlier. Right, so my question. A common criticism of the new Star Wars is that it's too embedded in current social issues, and in that way it is losing the mythic resonance of the original, and to a lesser extent, the prequel trilogies. How do we feel about this? I know that <laughs> this is like a leading question because pretty much all of us are going to disagree with this, suggestion, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but yeah, I'm most interested, of course, in hearing why we would disagree with that argument and that position. And yeah, who wants to go first?
2: Yeah, I think I'll go first on this. Uh Star Wars was uh, baked in with politics from the beginning. Uh, George Lucas mm. based uh, the conflict between the Empire and the rebels on what the U.S. was doing in Vietnam, sort of basing the rebels, and even mm. more specifically the Ewoks, on insurgent fighters in the Viet Cong. And the Empire was really us, sort of being this almost colonizing force uh, across the world, and you know, a lot of people would argue today that the U.S. is embroiled in this sort of neocolonialism, And you can also look at the Revolutionary War and the um, makeup of the empire as being inspired by Nazi Germany in the sort of way they dressed, in the fact that George Lucas took the term stormtrooper from Nazi Germany as well. You had uh, these analogies here and there, and you even had George Lucas at one time saying that Palpatine was inspired by Nixon To a large degree, as well as dictators throughout history. So, I think that when you look at the original trilogy, you have a lot, it's a lot more subtle than it has been in following uh, trilogies and material from Star Wars. When you look at the prequel trilogy, it's much more obvious what George Lucas is criticizing. It is still that sort of neocolonialism of the United States and the West generally but more specifically towards Iraq, towards Afghanistan, towards the Middle East. And it's interesting because—this is particularly interesting. We've touched upon this on Beltway Banthas, that George Lucas had written this story years before uh, 9-11, when the Iraq War started, but he was writing Mm -hmm. it concurrently with this shifting political climate, geopolitical climate. And he obviously took some visuals and some parallels uh, of, again, of going into the Middle East with uh, the Republic, going into like the Outer Rim or to separatist territory. He took, yeah, he used uh, our real world geopolitical situation for that. So, I, yeah, I would disagree with the assertion of the question, of the uh, criticism that Star Wars is too political. It's been political from the start, mm-hmm. and we're talking about the politics as well now in the sequel trilogy. I think much more so in the Last Jedi than the Force Awakens. The Last Jedi talks about distinct, so uh, yeah, socio political differences and war profiteering topics we've covered in our show. So yeah, you know, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be inspired by it, but I think it is also. Key to remember that it is not a one to one ratio, and I would personally really appreciate it if people didn't like make it as one to one as some may uh, tend to do.
0: Mm. Do you mean in the sense of using Star Wars as a direct allegory for things that are going on in the real world? Yeah,
2: sort of like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. How about you, Kirsty? What do you feel about this topic?
1: I mean, I agree with a lot of what Suara said. Star Wars is political, and I believe that all art is political. Um, mm. You can't really divorce it from the world that we live in. Um, yeah. You can draw parallels and, and read into things as you wish. Um, and I think it's very interesting to note um, what you said, Suara, about how George Lucas was writing the prequel trilogy before all of that stuff happened in real-world politics to kind mm. of show that these are universal themes of good and evil, and... Um, that corruption can occur over and over again and if you vanquish evil there's no saying that it won't come back and i think that's kind of what the sequel trilogy is touching on um i Mm. know that pablo hidalgo also on twitter that when they were first developing the sequel trilogy he was like oh we're dealing with fascists again
2: don't you think that's a
1: bit old hat we're kind of over that That's true. <laughs> it's like, oh wait actually yeah
2: Pablo seemed really critical <laughs> of Force Awakens as it came out and I think his favorite film is actually The Phantom Menace because he loves the politics in that film so much
1: yeah but I, I also think that he was kind of reflecting on how people might have thought oh oh duh, the duh. gotcha gotcha you, you know yeah what I yeah mean? And so to be like, oh, actually, these are still issues that we're facing and they're probably never going to go away and we can't get too comfortable with a society that is, you know, in a post-World War II world, um, mm. you have to always be vigilant. Um, but I also agree that people can take it too far in fan discourse and it often gets weaponized um, to kind of be used against fans who may be enjoy it in different ways from you, or read the story a bit differently. Um, mm. Because fundamentally, as political as it can be, Star Wars is also a fairy tale. And George mm. Lucas has been very clear about that from the beginning as well. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I think a lot of that um, visual um, imagery that's influenced by World War II and everything is mostly just that, it's imagery, it's quick shorthand to show that these are the good guys and these are the bad guys, because like we said before, it's for <laughs> children. So right. as nuanced as the politics of the prequels was, most of it's just quickly to, in a fairy tale way, say that these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and this is what we hope to defeat and overcome with compassion and love by the end, right? Because that's how Star Wars works. Yeah,
2: it's an absolutely mm. clear-cut good and evil, and honestly, in our real world, unless you know, maybe you're talking about North Korea, you know, threatening to blow up the world uh it's not yeah it's not often that one to one one to one ratio or yeah it's uh there's nuance there's a lot of nuance in our real world geopolitics but star wars is again clear-cut good and evil that's what it's meant to be
0: yeah i find it really interesting how with star wars it does seem to attract people of all political persuasions and so often individuals will like see themselves in the stories in a really strong way. Yeah, it's just so interesting to me because so often it seems like the stories transcend the author's intentions with like these people like with radically different views and interpretations of the story, like all identifying with it in this really strong and personal way. So you have people like on the far right perhaps looking at the empire as like emblematic of totalitarian government and then the rebels are like the freedom fighters, like fighting to like bring that government down and like let everyone express themselves as a free and uninhibited individual. Whereas the people on the left it might be more like the like the empire represents capitalism and then the freedom fighters, the people trying to bring down the dominant social structures and stuff. And again, I agree with you in that. I think it's foolish to look at it and want to see these direct parallels, but people really do do it strongly. And I kind of feel like that often comes about from people placing too much stock in the use of imagery, because I think that with the use of the like Nazi Esque imagery, especially in the original trilogy. I think that was such a quick, easy shorthand for everyone that it made it very easy for everyone to identify that is the evil side and that is representing a particular position. But then the rest was a bit more nebulous and people could make it what they needed to be.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting. It's interpretable to whoever you are, and I think that if you do want to make that one-to-one parallel personally, absolutely go for it if you want to make an argument for that, if that's something that deeply resonates with you, then absolutely. This is art to be consumed for all of us. It is very politically charged in its inception. You know, I would say it's the way it is has been the way it has been created. It's been political but not partisan, if that makes sense. Mm. But you need to respect in general, like, you know, I feel like this goes for a lot of fandom discourse is that ultimately the way you interpret something is not going to be the exact same as someone else. People are still going to love the empire. People are still going to love the villains or antagonists and probably want some of them redeemed, you know, because they genuinely uh, sympathize and empathize with these characters. And that's worthy Mm. of so much respect because that is not only because it's someone's personal interpretation, but it is also baked into the fabric of Star Wars, you know, like with the original Mm. and prequel trilogies. Star Wars, even though we do talk about it in terms of it being clearly cut good and evil, it is so much about that moral nebulousness. Uh, about what goes through characters' minds as they struggle to make the right decision or to carry out their orders while being tempted by the good. It's... And another note is, like, again, going back to the fact that we love villains and we should be able to enjoy them. And... I have seen in fandom here and there or even elsewhere questioning of, oh, should we really be celebrating or loving villains like Darth Vader, like Palpatine, like one of the like yeah. one of the newer characters, Iden Versio. You had people at the release of Battlefront 2 or the uh, Inferno Squad book, which was a prequel to, which is an amazing prequel written by Christy Golden, actually saying, and frankly, these were like, quote, well-meaning liberal white people, (laughs) I'm sorry to say, for the most Uh part, saying that, oh, Iden Versio, who's played by uh, Janina Gavankar, an Indian American, that she is, quote, bad representation, that she can't, that when we advocate for representation, we should only be doing it for heroes or those who are morally upstanding. That cuts deeply, Aiden is a character and who also, spoiler, or sorry, have you two played Battlefront 2 or you know what happens with Aiden in general?
1: I do. She has the most beautiful yeah.
2: arc. Rachel, Dean you-
0: I know it very vaguely, but okay, I don't cool. mind being spoiled.
2: Uh, she has her own redemption arc, but at the same time, she was still a key uh, fighter for the Empire and she's a, been a morally complex character that has worked for a fictional evil regime. And she's someone that so many people of color, including myself, I'm a brown Kurdish man, and that's related, albeit distantly, to Indian. We're part of the same Indo-Iranian family. I identify with, mm. uh, with Aydin Versio as a villain, as a hero, before I knew about her redemption arc. I love this character. So to have people say essentially to me or like say broadly, oh, you can't like her because she's a villain, because she's a fascist, that mm. hurts deeply. It feels as though you're telling me that, my, that what we consider to be strictly evil in this fictional franchise is more important than actually being able to see myself. Mm-hmm. So often mm-hmm. I will say, and I'm saying this as a very liberal person, the wokeness can often can sometimes go too far. And it can it, that sort mm-hmm. of perf- sense of performatism, in my opinion, is really damaging and it's hurtful. It's honestly really hurtful.
0: Yeah, like I think it's also about limiting the types of stories you can tell especially about certain kinds of characters like when they're people of color or when they're women. It's like is okay so we're we not allowed to make this character more ambiguous so we're not allowed to have them start from this dark place and actually show this genuine conflict and like doubt and like and those are things that you take for granted with like white characters <laughs> just being able to be depicted however right. the creator wants. But it feels like there's this higher level of sensitivity with like characters that are trying to reflect diversity and I think that often does people of color a disservice but obviously you're in a better position to speak to that than I am.
2: (laughs) Thanks but you're right it often feels as though we're under a microscope and I know we sort of shifted the conversation here uh, from talking about politics in-universe to out of-universe but as you can see it's all interrelated everything connects to each other Mm. in this chain everything is connected just like the force (laughs) in the political world. (laughs) it's uh i think about the politics of star wars is that it's so enriching it's so great to learn from the way we do it with our show is we think of it as we use star wars as a lens for political science to get people thinking about these complex Mm. and important issues and often that will lead back to our real world and there's so many fascinating stories to tell in the realm of politics. Something that my co-host Steven and I really want to see is a star Wars West wing, or even I'll even say it like, so the actor, Kevin Spacey is absolutely trash, but you know, his show, which will now be led by Robin, Wright. I would love to see a star Wars house of cards. I think that could be really great. Mm. Palpatine's rise to power. That'd be so cool. Palpatine's rise to power.
0: Yeah. And then I know they'd never get her, but can you imagine if Natalie Portman came back yes. as and she was actually like a co-lead with like Ian McDermott. Yes, oh, that would be so be So, great. so
2: good. <laughs> uh.
1: That's the kind Someone of thing I was it. hoping to get from John Favreau's series. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm not sure we will, but... Yeah, just to have like I know we've talked about how Star Wars is for kids, blah blah. <laughs> but it would be cool as they diversify with all of these different projects, um, it would be kinda cool to get like a politically themed T V series that kind of really delved into the the politics there. Like I know that the prequel politics weren't for everyone. Um, but for some people that's their favourite aspect of Star Wars. Yeah. So it'd be really cool to see that explored. It's one of my
2: favorites. Also let's get a Bail Organa series.
1: <gasps> yes. Jimmy
2: Smith is still around, you know. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And bring bring back Brea.
2: Bring back Breya, Yes, exactly.
0: Has her actress been in much? Do you know of her in anything else?
2: No, unfortunately not. <laughs> Uh, so much potential yeah. there it
0: was like a non-speaking role it was wasn't a non-speaking it so role. she might have just been an extra Yeah, yeah.
2: basically they were yeah. like oh Bail Organa's wife and now thanks to Claudia Gray aka the greatest Star Wars author ever like bringing us you know this great depth to her uh, have you both read uh, mm. Leia Princess of Aldron*? by the way
0: yes, oh, yes. So we loved it
2: so good so so good it's really
0: great <laughs> Yeah, I love that amazing. stuff of Braya having the mechanical heart yes. as well. That was such a cool aspect. Like mm-hmm. Claudia Gray is just great at the little details mm-hmm. that really make the world feel real and lived in. And it's actually about characters.
2: It's great. She should write the Ben Solo Luke book.
0: Yes. Oh, man. I would give my left arm for that. Oh, no. My, my metaphorical <laughs> left arm. But you know what I mean. Get the Skywalker special. Oh, no. <laughs> A double no wait! Firbing. Don't they
2: usually u- lose their right arm? Mm. Interesting. You
0: might be right <laughs> with that. Wow! <laughs> I'm so subversive.
2: <laughs>
0: so,
1: do you guys want to talk about the sequel trilogy? Yes. Because Swara, I know you have an awful lot of thoughts about the sequel trilogy and its politics or lack thereof. Yeah,
2: I actually mm. just tweeted this this morning, so that was kind of. Well-timed. I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And our friend uh, Christy at Writer's Chick, like, uh, added me disagreeing. <laughs> love you, Christy, if you're listening. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean,
1: I would, I would hope that by the end of the trilogy, I feel a lot differently about it. And it is well-rounded so. nine, really oh, well rounded out. I hope so. I really hope so.
2: Yeah. So I love the sequel trilogy the most. Rey is my favorite Star Wars character, and by default, my favorite character. But. And I said this in my tweet. Uh, I, okay, here's what I'll say. For politics in Star Wars, uh, Force Awakens gets an F. Uh, for Yeah. And Last Jedi, I would say, gets a C. Because at least it tried to explore some sociopolitics generally. It, uh, yeah, J.J. and the uh, Ryan and the other creators, they just haven't... They've just it seems as though they've deliberately ignored it so many times and there's confusion when the planet they blew up. Posnian prime turned out to not be Coruscant, you know, Mm. even though like people still watch the prequels, people know what Coruscant is. If it was Coruscant that blew up, that would have so much resonance for the audience. Even those from those who didn't like the prequels that much. It, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand. Like, the thing is, the sequel trilogy is a very personal, psychologically driven story. It's about Ray, uh, Finn, Kylo, Poe, Rose, and their journeys and how they are making sense of this big universe. It's a lot of almost self-insertion of ourselves into Star Wars and how we would deal with it through uh, these various characters. But you need to be able to make sense of what's going on in general as well. And the way they've done it in the writing has mainly been, oh, yeah, the Republic has fallen. And now the First Order rules everything. And now the Resistance is a rebellion. We decided to rebrand because we don't want to be associated with the left-wing <laughs> Resistance in real life. Uh, not, <laughs> not actually. That's just a theory Stephen and I have. But we do know Last Jedi was written before the 2016 election. So I don't know. Like, we'll see.
1: I do think that's an interesting point to make, right? though, because do you remember what happened when Rogue One came out? I know yeah. that you had um, an episode where you interviewed John Lovett of Pod Save America yeah. and talked to him about yeah, it.
2: That was like, yeah, that was uh, just a couple of months ago, but yeah.
1: Yeah, that's it's just such an interesting point because we were talking earlier about how everyone sees the Star Wars politics differently, mm-hmm. but... I don't know if you remember Rachel when Rogue One came out it was like just after Trump had been elected and obviously the political tensions were at an insane level um but then people were noticing all of this political allegory in Rogue One because of course it was as mm. political and Bob Iger had to actually comment yeah. on it and he was saying oh it's not political which seemed like a joke to me same but yeah, yeah it's just fascinating if they perhaps unintentionally use terms like resistance, which are then politicized by real-life people um, that they used, like in in current events, mm-hmm. um, it can get quite complicated. And...
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Rachel?
0: <sighs> God, like to me, it's it's really hard to be honest because a lot of the time the discussions that especially concern the sequel trilogy they're very rooted in American politics Yeah. and to be honest as a British person it's something I really know very little about I, I like to stay informed and I-, I keep in touch with some of the major developments in US politics but like all the major like concepts and like the divisions of the parties and everything in America is so alien and different from how it's done here in the UK that like it's difficult to follow those discussions, to be honest. So, yeah, like it's interesting because so much of Star Wars fandom, and especially Star Wars Twitter fandom, in my experience, is heavily, heavily U.S. It really is. And, and it makes complete sense. Star Wars is that like quintessential American myth in a way. But yeah, like it obviously myself and many many other British people love it and identify with I mean... it but just the dominant conversations they are very much US. And Western. it's
2: so fascinating because Star Wars is essentially a US British production from its very start. Growing yeah. up, I always viewed it as a British or half British film cuz not just because, mm. okay, and this sounds this is stereotypical, but having that mythic feeling, but again because of the production, because of the accents you hear in the franchise, this is a globally consumed uh again franchise and but again I think the most vocal fan base and one of the largest is or like the largest for a single country is definitely in the US so it makes sense based on Twitter's algorithms and uh, how information is spread that the most direct parallels would be made with uh, us here in the US so that totally makes sense
0: yeah and I think it's also a question about the creators and the writers of Star Wars Uh, Yeah, so the majority of the directors and the writers on the Star Wars franchise, they've all been American. So obviously they've been bringing an American perspective to it. And yeah, I I kind of think that then that informs the films and then people latch on to that stuff when they see the films. Because, yeah, it's kind of like how Kirsty said earlier, everything is political in a way. And even if something is clearly trying to be defiantly apolitical... That in itself is a political statement because there's a reason why it's staying silent on subjects and not doing anything. At some point, you can trace it back to something. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating to me. But, yeah, I feel like I lack a framework with which to understand a lot of the stuff that informs Star Wars. So while I do interpret it a great deal, as anyone who knows me knows, um, yeah, I feel like there's something missing in terms of my perspective but in a way it's just a different perspective it's not necessarily a worse perspective
1: I think a lot of that is due to the fandom's engagement and discourse as opposed to the actual story because anyone all over the world can watch Star Wars and understand it yeah. you don't need to know the specific events in US politics that might have influenced <laughs> it to know yes. that Palpatine is a bad guy and corruption of democracy is not to be admired and it's, yes. you know, we, we have to be vigilant about that kind of thing But you don't need to have a a really deep understanding of Nixonian politics. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Yeah. so I think it's more about trying to navigate current fandom and why people will think certain things about certain Mm. characters and to say, you're not allowed to like this character because he represents this. Yeah. current U.S. politics and whatever. Yeah. And a lot of that, it's kind of just up to you on a personal level, whether you want to engage in it or kind of just drown it out and enjoy the stories on your own Exactly.
2: Terms. And yeah. it's, it's really that, again, all interpretations are valid. And we none of us can deny that we live in a very politically charged time. You know, I will just say, you know, for minorities, people of color, women or femme identifying people here in the U.S., it is a very scary time, you know. We're potentially about to confirm a justice who's going to overturn the court case that made abortion and, like, uh, yeah, effectively legal here in the U.S. I know. We're. I know. Wow. I know. It's like yeah. People go to their fiction for escapism, but they also go to it as a coping mechanism for so many different aspects of their own life, and. That is valid. I think the problem often stems in how people with differing interpretations interact with each other. And Mm. ultimately, it comes from a lack of respect and willing to understand that someone has a different perspective from you or feeling as though you're not being listened to. So... It, yeah. it's it's a very sensitive time and feelings are charged all over the place i you know i, I will just say for myself i want to do more to help people in whatever way i can friends like on all sides of like different issues but it's really exhausting uh, you know the internet's a huge mm. place but you know like for listeners out there who might be listening to this I just want to let you know like i'm want to help any way I can and I think it's important for us all to listen to each other about how we can help people cope in this really trying political time
1: yeah yeah I think it might be hard I don't know I I know Rachel you're aware of like the the big things that go on in US politics but Mm. it's hard to convey to people outside the US how horrible it is to wake up and see the news the day and like what the fuck has Donald Trump said and done now yeah like it's a you know it's it's really hard (laughs) like yeah um it gets people really really down and I think that might be why a lot of people kind of come into fandom angry and depressed and disillusioned with the real world and almost go looking for a fight to maybe make themselves feel better or whatever it is um it just there's tension all round right now. Yeah. Um and yeah, it kind of makes online spaces hard to navigate sometimes.
0: Yeah. It's like even from a distance, like I can look at the discourse surrounding Star Wars and see that it's happening in a very highly charged context. It's like the way people get so inflamed over like diverse casting. Like obviously thinking back to when there was that first teaser for The Force Awakens Mm. and John takes off the Stormtrooper helmet and obviously it's a black man. And the Twitter storm that erupted around that, I think people forget, but it was so ugly Mm and so intense, that resistance just to the mere suggestion that there would be a black person inside Stormtrooper armor. And it's Mm -hmm. so ridiculous because there's absolutely no legitimate justification for that response either in world or out of world it's just completely absurd but yeah people just got so inflamed and like looking at it from the outside it just seems so bizarre but yeah i think it's perhaps symptomatic of the crazy climate in the us yeah it absolutely
2: it absolutely is you know like people on frankly the right wing saying oh there's an sjw agenda by having a black stormtrooper and no, John Boyega is just a fantastic actor and uh, he's playing someone who's conflicted in the film and it's a great step for representation to have a dark-skinned black man in Star Wars in a leading role. You know, we had Lando before, but with John Boyega and Finn, it's like an uh, another amazing step forward. So it's just getting with the times, we live in a diverse society, and representation matters. So, and this is something we've seen repeated for the sequel trilogy cast generally. Daisy, uh, like a year or two ago, got comments on her Instagram and deleted herself off social media. Obviously, everything that's happened with Kelly Marie Tran, we've all discussed ad nauseum, uh, what's happened to her. And I imagine, like, I, I feel as though like Oscar Isaac, you know, hasn't gone as much, but even so, the discourse around Poe is like so charged and you even have people saying, oh, he's a... Um, machismo uh, Latino man like just making these like awful like stereotypical comments about him and his race and it's just uh, mm-hmm. like you know the racism in fandom and general society it still exists it still needs to be addressed and you know as we yeah. make more strides in representation we're gonna continue dealing with that unfortunately but we still have to keep pressing forward because we're making characters that everyone virtually everyone loves, and that's really great.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: We're seeing a larger culture war play out in the fandom of Star totally. Wars. Totally.
2: So I love The Last Jedi. It's my favorite film of all time. I do think, however, that it could have... Ryan could have... I love Ryan, don't get me wrong, but that could have written the characters of color better and to be more cognizant mm-hmm. of these. Or by the way, is this the part when we can transition and talking about representation in front of and behind the camera? Yeah, All right, sure. excellent. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I love Ryan, but I think that he and Jason, as we discussed earlier, may have had certain blind spots when it comes to recognizing things that happen in the black and Asian communities. These things are real mm. and are gonna be received by like these uh, communities of color. They are not racist. They're they're certainly, both of these people are not racist. Like, But they still, if they're not careful, do things that can be insulting or can be offensive in the way it's portrayed. I think this more goes for the Last Jedi novelization than it does for the movie. Because in the novelization, you had Rose calling Finn multiple times, quote, dummy. And there is Mm -hmm. a lot of anti-blackness in Asian communities, a lot in Middle Eastern communities too. Like I'm Middle Eastern all around the world, quite frankly. And that I was talking to a uh, black uh, fan friend of mine and she was feeling hurt while reading that book. The feelings of these fans matter. They're legitimate. But again, I don't think that it comes out of any active malice from the creators. It's all about these blind spots and how they may accidentally do something. And this is why representation behind Mm. the camera matters so, so much.
1: Yeah. No, I fully agree. I, I... I don't know if this was me-, me reading too much into things, but back when The Force Awakens came- first came out, there were parts of the story concerning Finn that I was not overly impressed right. with. Um, things mm. like him being tased by Rey, which I see a lot of discourse around how Rose treats him in The Last Jedi when she first meets him, but similar thing happens in The Force Awakens when she hits him with the staff, and then BB-8 zaps him, and they accuse him of stealing. Yeah. Yeah. And then we also see him drinking from the animals trough and generally being played for a lot of comic relief that Ray is not played for. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know if that's me reading too much into things. No, you're not at
2: all. I've seen comments from like way back from other black fans uh, com- uh, complaining about that, from being concerned about that. It, it right. matters.
1: It's tricky because I don't think it's a case of the creators being racist. It's like you say, it's not being aware and that comes down to privilege of how things might come across and how the character was originally written just as a character they hadn't decided who they were going to cast and then they had colorblind auditions and they found john to be the best person to play the role which is fantastic but it wasn't then consciously adapted in their minds to be like hey maybe this actually means something different or has different connotations if you have a black actor portraying him
2: yeah, exactly. Mm. You see
1: what I mean? Like a white person in that comedic relief role would not have had that same baggage.
0: Yeah.
2: Exactly. You described that so eloquently, Kirsty. Thank you.
1: It's, it's something that I think about a lot because I really love Finn as a same. character and I absolutely adore John. Same. Um, but there's just certain things that I would have changed. Um, yeah. yeah. And,
2: and, it's and that's fine to say. It's like we can criticize our media in a constructive and healthy way and... Something I have like been con- you know worried about sometimes. So y'all know I do you know with my friends the hashtag #SWRepMatters campaign to advocate for more diversity and inclusion in the galaxy far, far away. Sometimes you know I get worried. Oh no, are people going to think that because we're criticizing Star Wars so much for not having enough or having uh, or writing their characters of color well enough, uh, are they going to lump us in with the same sort of t- toxic detractors of the last Jedi thankful I I feel as though for the most part it hasn't been like that but sometimes and you know we I feel like we all feel the same way we all love the last Jedi but if someone genuinely doesn't like it and moves on with their life you know like actually just lets people really enjoy what they want to enjoy then that's great but we also mm. like we understand that people can simply dislike a film and that we don't think less of yeah. anyone for only disliking a film. If they're attacking, harassing creators, if they're doing s- stupid, terrible stuff like that, then, yeah, they need to <laughs> they they need to stop. But constructive. But yeah. I, I fear that because and this is something that's been really concerning to me that some people have been using the last Jedi, like their love of the last Jedi against these racists and sexists as a sign of, Oh, look at how woke I am. Look at how, you know, liberal I am and much of an ally I am because I'm saying against the toxic Mm. fans of the last Jedi. No, I'm sorry. That doesn't really say anything. You're like, I've had friends of mine, uh, well, this one friend of mine who's a woman of color who doesn't like The Last Jedi. She's had and she's also very liberal. She's had people on Twitter and her mention say that she's a sexist and a racist because she personally didn't like Rose. That's all she did. She just said, I don't like Rose mm. as a character and moved on with her life. But still, people were essentially harassing her for it and calling her racist and sexist. It was yeah. so performative, so useless, so it happens all over the place, and I feel as though people need to take a step back and not get so caught up in the camps that are artificially made on Twitter to understand that there are real nuances when it comes to discussing these amazing films. Like, I love, again, I love The Last Jedi. I just wish, uh, one thing I would have really appreciated, honestly, with all due respect to Ryan. Ryan Johnson, if you haven't be listening, know that I love you and your work. Yeah. I think you're absolutely amazing. But again, I think it would have been really valuable to have had a woman of color as a co-writer for that. Who someone who could have, more specifically a mm. black woman, who could have like picked out some of these nuances and write these things better here and there, because it matters. The on-screen representation matters with the behind-the-screens representation. When we advocate SW yeah. Rep Matters, we' want that perspective and i will say even more broadly we need women writing star wars we need woman in the writer's chair for these films it i love jj i love ryan but it is frankly a shame that not a single woman at least so far has written ray and rose and other woman characters in the sequel trilogy in the films it's yeah, yeah it's been a shame in my opinion
0: yeah, no it's true. It's like I I also really love the last Jedi and I'm never sure if it's like my favorite or my second, you know, like it's I hate to commit like that. But I I don't think it's an accident that the one of the aspects of the film that has uniformly got the most criticism is like the Canto bite stuff like the Finn and Rose subplot like and obviously as we've observed there is an element of that that is very disgustingly racist and sexist and that's really loathsome but there are other part there are other people who dislike it for reasons completely disconnected from that and like you say the frustrating thing is how they get conflated and how there's no nuance or appreciation of the fact that yeah maybe these characters could have been better served in the writing process and maybe changes could have been made to like tighten up the narrative and make people buy into that story more and latch onto the characters more is really tricky
1: yeah sometimes i feel like the responses from the creators aren't super genuine as well I think mm. they could have a little more understanding when it comes to why f- certain fans are particularly bothered by things that go differently in the story from how they expected or hoped. Like when they've marketed the Force Awakens, it was kind of strongly suggested, for reasons that are clear now, that Finn was going to be the Force-sensitive yep. Jedi, not Rey. Mm. Yeah. Um, and understandably, that was very important and hugely exciting for lots of people. And then when The Force Awakens came out, and then in the lead up to The Last Jedi, people were like, oh, so I guess it's gonna be Rey who's the Jedi, but some some people were still holding on for Force-sensitive Finn, and if he was gonna be a Jedi with her. And then some of the creators started to get a bit dismissive and almost making fun of it.
2: Yeah, it, it's, it's all yeah. about tact, and I really wanna stress this notion. We do not think that the creators are bad people. We don't think that they're actively malicious at all. When we, uh, my friend Southern at Southern Cynic tweeted this the other day, when we call this franchise to task, we don't do it because we uh, don't like it. We do it because we love it. We do it because we love it so mm-hmm. much when we want to do better and to, again, not just be more reflective of fans of color, minority fans, LGBTQIA fans, but to make their stories better by being more cognizant of what their fan base will appreciate. And these social issues matter so much. We don't, again, we don't think the creators are actively bad people at all. And like when we talk about things in the films and in the writing process and how we wish we they had been better, this is an imploring ask. It's an imploring request to, Please do better in the future because I will just say this. I think so many more people, especially with the advent of social media and other forms of uh, online communication, know how, know so much better how their media is made, know what goes behind the scenes, know how a writer, for example, Rachel, as you had talked about eloquently in your piece almost over a year ago about Colin Trevorrow and the way he writes woman, it can be damaging. It can be very bad. And it's not to say like, you know, Colin Trevorrow, I I will just say, I don't personally like him as a person seeing the way he interacts online. But still just based on that fact, it's not just to say, not to say that he's a bad person, but like that maybe he's not the best person to write and direct this film And that's okay to talk about. So we need to have this open dialogue about our blind spots, about why things may be genuinely concerning to, again, minority fans or who are becoming a larger and larger share of this country and frankly, around the world. I think Mm. it will serve Star Wars and Lucasfilms business better going into the future by you know, for example, going on Twitter, looking at hashtag SWREpMatters and seeing the hundreds of stories from so many fans about why this franchise managed to them with the representation they have already gotten and what they want to see more of. And I think that when you look at something like Black Panther, Crazy Rich Asians, and the creators mm. of color behind the camera, you'll understand that diversity sells. Diversity sells big. Black, Black yeah. Panther made more money than The Last Jedi. I'm glad they both did. You know, they're at 11th and 9th highest grossing films of all time, respectively. Both amazing successes for Disney. But I think that still does say something, that Black Panther was able to be a Star Wars film like that. That wasn't an Avengers film. Yeah. It matters.
0: Yeah. I think it's,
1: you're right, it's hugely important to have that diversity behind the camera as well. Like, I know that we have the story group that is very diverse. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the people who actively write and direct the stories, it's lacking. Like, you know, every time we have news on the podcast of, oh, we have this new director or new person involved in a Star Wars project, it's like, oh, is it going to be another white man? Of course it is. Mm. So we had the news Recently, that Victoria Mahoney has been hired as the second unit director on the recommendation of Ava DuVernay to J.J. Abrams. Such
2: wonderful news, and
1: it is wonderful. And second
2: director, second unit director, films on big franchise films like this, they get to do a lot. So I can imagine. I was doing some research on the role, and I genuinely believe that Vic Mahoney may be able to direct Finn, Ray, Rose, Poe, in sweeping action scenes uh, at the very least. So being able to like see a black woman direct or or various excuse me women and characters of color I I think that'll serve episode nine in a great way
1: yeah me too the only thing I have concern about is that naturally a second unit it raises the question of whether the general audience would even be aware of that but then again I'm not even sure if most people who go to see star wars are even aware of who ryan johnson is true yeah you know we kind of forget that in the fandom bubble we forget and we we think about these people all the time but Mm. the average cinema goer probably doesn't
0: and for victoria mahoney hopefully the gig on episode nine that will be a stepping stone for her to actually get her own films director yes because that would be amazing praying
2: for that Mm. and she seems so excited about the project in so many ways. I don't know if you guys saw yesterday, she quote tweeted Mark's uh, troll uh, episode yes. nine title tweet. <laughs> he's he's not releasing yeah. the title. Like I think he got the purpose. Wait, well, I just want to check like his Twitter account real quick on this tangent. Uh, y'all Mark Hamill is my favorite human being. I love him so much. Oh yeah, he, <laughs> he like put in a uh, big uh, caps lock one word by word tweets the purpose of and then today th- yeah just today annoying <laughs> we're <laughs> not getting the episode 9 title from Mark Hamill unfortunately <laughs> oh bless, bless him. him I love him so yeah, much I like
1: that they're both having fun with that
0: I yeah. love them a point I'd like to raise is that I found it really interesting how I-, I do think that there is a conscious effort probably emerging from the story group to be honest to tell a different kind of story because yeah. I, I hate that I do this to myself but I do sometimes watch those horrendous YouTube channels where it's just angry white men ranting about The Last Jedi for way too long and I know that sounds like self-punishment but I do it because I am sincerely interested in understanding where are these people even coming from? Where is this argument emerging from? So I wanted to understand how they were articulating themselves so I've listened to some of these videos, and so often the same criticism is that the last Jedi gets storytelling wrong, <laughs> and they will say that because of things like, well, Rey starts out knowing everything, and she doesn't need to learn anything from Luke, so that means she doesn't follow the classic hero's journey. In well, that no, she, she doesn't. And that she goes from powerlessness to power, and yeah, you can like, hear me rolling my head. eyes
2: so hard.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, like that's because that's not the point. That's not the type of story being told. And I think it's so interesting to me that people can't accept that. And people, for some people, that it's become so embedded in their minds that there's a correct way of telling stories, specifically Star Wars stories, that when Star Wars actually attempts something different and it's a much more subtle story about emotions and like inner feelings and states of mind. That then that's like what? Why? Don't understand. Ugh. This isn't Star Wars, and oh my it's just like people can't comprehend it or see what's going on. And yeah, it's just fascinating to me how there's that like mental. Block it's a
2: psychologically there. driven story, which I would argue is a lot better than the original trilogy even I love the original trilogy so much don't get me wrong but I feel as though the way they've written Ray, Finn and other characters and Kylo especially like the way they've written these characters Mm -hmm. has been the acting the writing everything going into it we have amazing characters that I would wager, honestly, are even better than the original trilogy characters. Uh, when you look at Poe, you look at Rose as well in the Last Jedi, and I imagine some of the new characters will get in nine as well. I, I, I don't know. It just sort of baffles me personally because I understood exactly what drives these characters. You can see it in the subtle hints in the dialogue. You can see it in like, their expressions, and you understand. I have to tell you both. Coming out of The Last Jedi, my first screening of it, I was absolutely in love with it. I thought, oh, this is so great. This is so unique. I think this might be my favorite film of all time. I went online, Mm. posted my reaction to it, got bombarded with people disagreeing, and then I saw other takes, and I just really... I suppose, you know, there's the extension of, it's an extension of understanding that people have different tastes, which is understandable. And I would say, like, most of my friends that don't like The Last Jedi said their piece and move on. I do not understand bragging on a film for eight months after its release. It makes zero sense. Or even nine months now. I am, and mm. again, I advocate healthy discourse and constructive criticism on how it can do better with really important issues like representation. I will discuss that as uh, respectfully as I can, but I will not be ragging on a creator's work all the time or saying, oh, this person ruined Star Wars. And I will instead be going to other forms of media that I think are just as good and can yeah. even do representation at well or better. And it's, it just matters to me. It's like, you can move on. If you don't like Star Wars anymore, just move on to things you do like it's, mm. it's really yeah. that simple. And I honestly think this franchise will be fine. And the other thing to go on the other side of this from people who or at least say, yeah, people who say they love the last Jedi getting into arguments with people online about why last Jedi was great. And, that's, I'm sorry, but you're not going to do anything like that. Online arguments yeah. never result in anyone changing their mind. Yeah, it, it just baffles me on every side. Honestly,
0: I kind of feel like it might be part of like a wider cultural thing. Yeah, where stories. Are- Like that are centric on women and are adjusted in terms of their structure and their emphasis to be more explicitly about a woman or women plural, I think society just doesn't do well with those kinds of stories generally, to be honest, because they are unfortunately still quite a new thing. And unless they're very, very overtly packaged as being for women, as in like a rom-com, or something then when people get it in other genres especially genres like sci-fi where people are unfortunately stereotypically thinking about it as a boy thing then like they find it difficult to accept and it feels like illegitimate and like it's breaking all the rules that they know but I think the thing is that sometimes people need to accept that it's good to break rules and that things need to change that it's a good and healthy thing and that there's only so many times you can tell the same type of story exactly yeah and it's interesting
1: because as we've talked about <laughs> over and over Ray's story while different in terms of it being a heroine journey as opposed to Luke's hero journey mm-hmm. it does still carry on those fundamental themes in Star Wars of love and compassion and that classic you know childhood to adolescent to adulthood yeah. Um coming of age story. So, you know, it still has those fundamental components, it's just told from a different perspective with different emphasis. Mm. Um but it's it's very fascinating to me because it's something that we anticipated after the Force Awakens because the last Jedi being the dark Metal chapter would kind of go into more of rays, not weaknesses, but her the nuances of her character. Yeah, her we feelings. would know her on a deeper level that yeah her fears and doubts and insecurities and watch her perhaps make mistakes and learn from things and grow and be vulnerable yeah. mm. all those things that we hold so dear in you know the feminine gaze and storytelling mm. to have this relationship with Kylo mm-hmm. Ren however you perceive that personally but to other people that was just too much
2: yeah, yeah. Like they
1: they wanted Ray to either be Luke's sidekick or they wanted Rey to be this infallible feminist hero who would never make any kind of mistake because that's bad representation kind of coming back what you were saying it's earlier. Still as fem- or, I mean, if um, I may say
2: so as a straight male here, it's still feminist, you know, like I've talked to like so is. many of my women friends, admittedly, most of them are, friend- are fans of The Last Jedi, but even so, like a lot of them have taken it as a really great feminist anthem. I do understand, however, on the flip side, my woman friends who don't like The Last Jedi as much saying that they were disappointed in Rey being there almost too much for Kylo and Luke, uh, that she didn't have enough self-exploration of herself. I will say, like, I love her journey in The Last Jedi. I do understand that criticism, however, Again, a woman writer I think would have helped with that to give Ray more of her own yeah. internal monologue that the audience could perhaps more clearly see uh, what was really going through her mind. I found it like to be pretty obvious, like in the multiple times I've watched the film, and I love it, but. I do understand the other perspective, again, from my woman from other woman friends from woman friends of mine, uh, about why they don't like her journey as much. And that's okay too. We can have a constructive discourse about it and not tear each other down for having a different opinion over a space movie.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big reasons that Ray's motivations are left kind of ambiguous at the end is because it's not the end of the right. story. So they kind of want to hold some stuff back for nine and then when when that's out we can type take a step back and look at it as this cohesive journey for her, right? And it will all just become clear. Um, So I do understand it when people say that, but I just think people need to be patient. Patience.
2: Mm. Use the force.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think what would have gone a long way was to show her to have more relationships with female characters.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yes.
1: Because you know, we have her with Leia at the end and we have her with Maz and The Force Awakens, but it's really minimal stuff. Yeah. And so when people say, Oh, I had a problem with the fact that her journey relied on her developing through her relationships with all of these male characters, they're right. Mm. Yeah. You can't yeah. argue with that. Because we have her at the center as the primary protagonist, but she's surrounded by male characters. So yeah. her development is inevitably affected by her relationships with them. Yeah. So it would really go far I think in nine if we showed if if we were shown um a developing friendship with Rose.
0: Yeah. And there's always that tension between how much are the male characters being used to progress Ray's development and then how much is Ray being used to progress the male characters' development. And obviously it's not necessarily a bad or insidious thing for a woman to like be developing like a man's arc. But there needs to be more to that. I do think there's much more to Rey than that. But I think in elements, I can understand why people have that fear about her being lost due to that sort of thing. Mm.
2: Absolutely.
1: I wonder if a lot of that kind of depends on how people view it as the Skywalker saga as well. And now it's not clear. Well, it is clear that Rey isn't one and Kylo is the Skywalker of this generation. Mm. It's kind of what level of emphasis people put
0: on that as an
2: important thing. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. Right. I hate to say it, but I think we're going to have to wrap up here, um, which is pretty tragic because we have lots of notes and we've barely brushed the surface with some of them. But yeah, that only means that we'll need to reconvene at some other point to have a part two of this discussion because, yeah, this has been pretty great. Thank
2: you so much. I would absolutely love to.
0: Yeah. Thank no, you, No, we'd love Swara. to have you back Thank on. Thank
2: you so, so much. No, this is an absolute delight.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on. We've both really enjoyed it and you've had such fantastic insights. So yeah, it's been pretty wonderful. Um, right, so we'll go around the houses just to remind everyone of where we all come from. Let's start with you, Swara. Where can people find you?
2: You can find me on my podcast, Beltway Banthas. Um, you can find it wherever you get podcasts. I'm al- As I mentioned before, I'm also a co-host of The Flash podcast. Um, so if you're a fan of The Flash TV show, uh, come hear me talk about it and various aspects of representation there. Uh, I'm also a blogger on the But Why Though podcast network. I... Uh, I'm currently working on a piece reviewing The Dragon Prince season 1. So by the time you listen to this, uh hopefully it'll be up. And uh please check out the hashtag #SWrepmatters on Twitter talking about uh all the various aspects of representation we want to see in Star Wars. Uh the other day we just had uh Campaign for Pacific Islander representation. Uh, you know, we had Django mm. Fett, who is really great, but why can't we have more Maori, Tahitian, Hawaiian, Samoan, uh, Filipina actors from that general region? So please uh, check that out.
1: Yeah, awesome. that hashtag is so fantastic. I urge all of our listeners to go and Thank check it so out. Thank you so
2: much, Kirsty. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, and Kirsty, where can people find you?
1: I'm Basila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. And obviously you can find me on the Scavengers Horde podcast.
2: (laughs) Whoa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I'm Rachel. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr or at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Yeah, so thank you so much for listening. And until next time, bye. bye. Bye.